Twilight fades through blistered Avalon. The sky's cruel torch on aching Autobahn into the uncertain. Welcome to Savage Beast. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Gallagher, uh, and with me uh, for the past year, Paul McLeod. <sighs> Joe, it's it's been a fun journey. I uh, it has. This is uh, this is the best podcast I've ever been a part of. Uh, yeah, me as well. Um, I have to say, I I actually no, that's that's not true. Uh, our mutual <laughs> friend uh, Lyle and I had a Orlando Magic podcast. In the mid two thousands, called Magic Balls, uh, with the recorded Z. over like Nokia candy bar phones. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically <laughs> recorded over Skype, but in just the worst way possible. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, that that podcast, uh, which hopefully no one will ever hear uh, again, <laughs> uh, is was, it up somewhere? God no. <laughs> can, can I troll you with it? No. For real though, uh, we we've recorded um, a year's worth of these podcasts. This is our forty second episode. Um, impressive, impressive. Forty mm-hmm. third um, recorded, forty second released to the public. True, we have our famous lost episode. So uh, famous. Which I was thinking about the other day. I was like, I, I was probably too hesitant to release it. I was like, man, I should have just. I'm sure it was fine, but then I realized that back then. I had to like edit it like at every every sixty seconds to get the echo to go away, and I was like, "That's why I didn't do it." <laughs> yeah, uh, things would be different now. I do not miss um, that part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, we've managed not to see each other once uh, during this year of recording. That's true. Um, it was a year of uh, all our friends having babies and. Um, Deciding not to piss off their uh, their hard their <coughs> hardworking wives, um, which was wise and good, but yes. uh, as a result, um, there's been a there's been a real uh, sore lack of of broing in the country this past year, and yeah. I I think I blame Trump on that. To be honest, I I agree so I agree so much. Um, I think. That uh, if our bro rage had sort of united Captain Planet style, <laughs> or maybe Care Bear style, it's more like it, um, we could have defeated Trump. Do, uh, do the Care Bears unite and combine into something? 
No, but like they're they're like chest ray power all combined. That seems to be more emblematic of what bros do when they rage. You know, they kind of like open their chest and that's true. Rays of psycho power shoot forth from it. That's true. I I don't really see us like wearing rings and summoning a a bluish superhero. No, someday, Joe, when we're way past our prime and Savage Beast has become um, a lucrative but uh, artistically bankrupt venture, we'll do a whole episode about which Care Bears all of our friends are. I like it. I also would, uh, I think we should eventually switch, uh, slowly transition this into a uh, Captain Planet episode recap pod. (laughs) (laughs) was the heart kid gay? Was that like intentional or is that just what everybody thought? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I think he was just, uh, he's just a real sweetheart. I mean, I, so yeah, people were, pe- people were dicks. Uh, but I mean, I actually thought the, I, I feel like the fire kid probably turned out yeah. gay. Yeah. Yeah. He was like a, a, a sort of like punk rebel gay yeah, guy. He made, that's for sure. He made my gaydar go off for sure. <laughs> Um, oh man okay we're yeah. done talking about captain fucking Planet. we are we are uh um i'm gonna stop dropping my beer cap too so because i know my mic is picking that up um, yeah i, I kind of like a year of professionalism <laughs> savage beast indeed um, um what's funny is we do have get complimented for how good our podcast sounds which is um ridiculous I will say they're like professional podcasts, like prominent professional podcasts who can't seem to figure out the two people recording separately remotely thing. And thus one person always sounds like shit. And yeah. It's, just like, it's, that, it's not actually even hard to do. It really puzzles me. I mean, I listen to a basketball podcast and it's a daily podcast and both people sound like shit. And, I'm, and it's, yeah. it's their job. I, I don't get it. Um, and again, it's not even difficult. Like you, it's it's actually quite simple to put it all together. Anyway, this has been the New York Review of podcasts. <laughs> um, we should explain what this episode is going to be about, since we are already running out of time to finish the topic. We should. Uh, this episode uh, is devoted entirely uh, to the Smashing Pumpkins' uh, nineteen ninety eight album "Adore." Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul, where should we begin? We've been waiting a while to talk about this album uh, in its full um, glory. Yeah. Well, I can start by uh, by saying um, the interesting thing for me is, as I've related on our second podcast, mm. uh, at one point my God-fearing parents um, – banned me from devil music and actually ritually broke all my cds containing that at the time most of them were bad devil music like the offspring Uh um that um was devilish in a way my parents didn't even understand namely it was you know just not very good um and uh i took the ban to heart uh i i had a religious experience and i uh I uh, aspired to um, listen only to uh, Jesus-sanctioned music, which really required it uh, at first to be explicitly about Jesus and then just to be inoffensive to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, eventually, I think Adore was the first real honest-to-God 
secular clear contravention of the ban album i bought uh after Hon- that honest to god <laughs> yeah <laughs> i didn't even mean to do that um <laughs> and i believe i believe that i bought it uh when we were on our speech and debate trip to harvard in the mm. early uh in early 1999 uh in the dead of winter um when we all went to a record store together um uh, I'm pretty sure that's all accurate, but Probably. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think we went to uh, Newberry Comics, actually. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> one of those one of those trips we went to Newberry Comics, and I bought um, the bet dropped thirty dollars on the Japanese Today single, so I could listen <laughs> to Apathy's Last Kiss in the comfort of no, my no. own home. I think that was the same trip. Okay, okay, that's it's is something I would have done in 1999. So, uh, yeah. Apathy's last kiss. The uh, <laughs> that's that's just wonderful to have spent thirty dollars on that song, um, but uh, yeah. So adore. Um, I you know honestly I don't even think I knew the music that well. Mm-hmm. But um, you and Jesse and maybe Greg, he might have been dead at that point, um, but not brought back yet. Yeah, um, might uh, just peer pressured me into liking the Pumpkins. Uh, uh, with only really their singles to guide me, um, which as we've discussed, aren't even their best songs. So I bought it and, uh, and, uh, here we are now. Um, I've become a rich and famous podcaster thanks to that one fateful decision to defy my parents. Wow. I didn't realize that Adore was, uh, such a milestone album for you. Absolutely. Um, I, although I knew that you had always, uh, put it in a special place, um, yeah, your, that's a large part of why yeah. it's, it was... I mean, at one point, I might have said it was my favorite album. I don't think I would say that now, but that's that's not because of anything wrong with The Door. Um, yeah, I mean, that was... You know, you are you are allowed to change your favorite album without denigrating the previous favorite album. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is it, what does The Door mean to you, Joe? Well, I mean, The Door was the first Smashing Pumpkins album that I that came out after I was a uh, hardcore Smashing Pumpkins fan. Um, mm-hmm. I became one, you know, I, I had Siamese Dream before Melancholy came out, but that's just because it had, like, popular songs on it. Um, and it, it wasn't until I bought Melancholy to listen to Bullet with Butterfly Wings <laughs> um, and um, I, maybe 1979, but I'm not sure. And, and, you know... Uh, Definitely had Melancholy before Tonight Tonight was a single because I remember playing that uh, in Greg's room and us both being like, holy shit, this song rules. Um, uh, And so, you know, I became a fan in the the Melancholy era, um, which I, I could get into why I remember becoming a fan during that time. That's when I first heard the Smashing Pumpkins live and I really like connected to that um and uh i started you know reading all the different fan sites the there are a lot of competing ones that had different resources different mp3s to download etc etc so by the time that a door came out um i was a fan i wasn't um quite at the reading the um the Smashing Pumpkins uh, news group level. Um, those people intimidated me uh, because I was, you know, just a young, scared child. And there were, I think there were a lot of people 
in their mid twenties on there who were not very <laughs> friendly. Um, um, as Remember Smash, how intimidating people in their mid twenties were when you were a kid. I do, um, um, <laughs> and, and Billy Corgan included. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, I mean, and the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, I, I think, famously attract a certain kind of. Uh, less well adapted fan <laughs> than other other uh, of their '90s ilk. Um, a, Aside a, from you, a darker, more emo uh, fan. Um, uh, yes. Aside from me, I'm certainly not emo at all. It's definitely <laughs> not dark. Um, so anyway, yeah. a door came out, and that, and it was, and then it it. So I had that experience of 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 having this great anticipation for it, of having you know known the title and not really heard the songs other than uh, the first single of Adore, which I found you know like all Smashing Pumpkins fans strange and wonderful with its electronic, uh, uh, you know, deviances that of course Billy <laughs> even by that point had promised represented what the album. Yeah. as a whole held um and uh so the listening to this album was two experiences one it was you know listening to my favorite band's new album um for the first time um which uh uh was a, a singular experience i mean i'd sort of had that with pinkerton but um mm-hmm. i'd had it with pinkerton but that's it that was just just that difference of a year or so really changed that. Um, I was less of a music fan when Pinkerton came out. Um, yeah. And then also the fact that this happened and then the album was one which so challenged me mm-hmm. because it was such a huge deviation from um, uh, what I, at the time, you know, thought I liked so much about the pumpkins music um so ha- having just having this be like an album that like was the m- most hyped album in my mind ever mm-hmm. and then having it be so different made it um singular and it's still a listening experience i mean i remember listening to it um and that those dual feelings of excitement and confusion and <laughs> probably dis and and disappointment um yeah to, to some extent uh as i so badly needed to rock in 1998 <laughs> um and kind of saw that learned that liking this album was going to be a less immediate and less visceral experience yeah you know that's the interesting thing about it is um uh i did love the album i perhaps benefited uh in coming to terms with its weirdness um in that i had um been starved of uh the highest levels of professional music for the past uh year and a half or so uh when i got it and so that helped me just uh get over that but there was still um i felt the exact same sort of like hardness angst uh as you did um perhaps it's a form of early performance anxiety um that uh as a young man who was like is this is this too pussy for me to like uh, is it okay 
Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, and yeah. So that's what was interesting about listening to it again for this episode uh, of our podcast is that um, uh, that baggage is like entirely gone. Like, um, you know, right. I have... I have now successfully performed to the likes of jo- Joanna Newsom, so it's not like this is um, uh, a great stretch for me on the soft side of things. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that's it's actually kind of nice to be able to go back to it now and not have that sort of adolescent, stupid, immature uh, uh, self-consciousness uh, Ex- getting in the exactly. way of things. Um, I very vividly, to kind of illustrate it, I, I remember uh, you know kind of having a debate about it with our friend Jesse, who... Um, you know, uh, hopefully to this day is still a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. Maybe he's grown up a bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, and we were talking about it, and and I think at the time, you know, as a fanboy, I was kind of, you know, defending the whole album, uh, despite my reservations. You know, I immediately mm-hmm. defended it. Um, and he was kind of picking apart my argument, saying, you know, when that, uh, you know, when when the uh, guitar solo hits in For Martha, um, you know, it was like, you know, that was just like sweet nectar being pulled over, poured over your body. <laughs> and he used a very vivid metaphor. Um, and, and we'll, we'll get to that. A, a very vivid and very gay metaphor. Yes. Um, <laughs> Paul tried, tried not to go there. Um, I, I, Sorry, I cracked myself up. You did. Um, I knew you. I knew you were going. To, I knew you were going to go there. So, um, and I, I just rem- I remember that so clearly um, uh, as maybe a, a moment that I saw the truth in myself of like, oh yes, I mean, I, I cling to that moment like a drowning man clinging mm-hmm. to a, a life raft. Yeah, it was the same way. Um, it's uh it's funny uh part of it is just like we got into music exactly when raw loud guitars were um the only acceptable thing and a fairly violent reaction to the anti uh masculine tendencies of 80s rock um well the anti-masculine uh tendencies of certain kinds of 80s rock as opposed to hair metal which was uh like some sort of weird overcompensating faux masculinity but um uh yeah so i think coming up as we did um this was like the one of the one of the first really big um rock band uh both critically acclaimed and commercially successful rock band albums uh of the 90s boom to uh eschew that sort of thing and so uh we had trouble with it which is interesting anyway uh, maybe we should start getting into the actual music so we can uh, make this a less abstract conversation. Sure. Um, I, I guess uh, um, I, my one question mm-hmm. um, is at what point – keep your answer short. At what point do you think <laughs> your opinion of Adore changed – from that of, you know, the conflicted fanboy to like sort of the 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 – more sophisticated view you have of it or the fuller view i'll say a more accurate um understanding well like i said i mean i always loved the album i i only knew that i didn't have any pumpkins albums before this and uh didn't have any 
of the other band's albums that I love now at all. Um, before this, my favorite band uh, CDs that I owned were like um, uh, DC Talk and Boys to Men and Five Iron Frenzy. Um, so uh, this is like a whole new level of quality compared to those. And so I did love it despite the, the conflict about that sort of thing. Um, I would say I, I lost all aspects of that conflict probably, you know, as far as I can remember anyway, sometime in college, because once, once Kid A came out, um, you know, that pretty much shattered whatever, uh, last, uh, uh, you know, uh, nervous grip I had on the idea of, of loud guitar rock as the only acceptably, um, uh, acceptable form of music. Yeah, it's interesting that Kid A kind of uh, reverse validated a lot of, uh, <laughs> uh, retroactively validated a lot of um, uh, ideas that other artists had had in the 90s. Yeah. Um, perhaps it's uh, funny also yeah. that that was a year and a half later and it feels like a decade in retrospect. Oh man, so long. But time, <laughs> time took forever and back then. Totally. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I would say my answer to answer my own question is that. Um, I feel like my opinion of Adore is still evolving today, and mm-hmm. it's been unlike any other album. Has been the most gradual, uh, sort of un, a uh, gradual flowering in my mind. Um, to the point where there will be some days, sometimes when I listen to it now, and I'm still not completely there with it. And then sometimes I listen to it, and I'm like, the, you know, and I, I. Um, as we will discuss, uh, see so many aspects of a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, okay, so how we're going to do this episode is we each picked four moments from the album. Um, so we're going to go through those eight eight moments that we find um, uh, illuminating, transformative, uh, just um, uh, they best illustrate um, what we think about the album. Um, and probably talk about a few bigger questions uh, in between. Um, and I will say, if you have any comments on Adore, you should send them to us uh, on the Twitters. Uh, tweet us at Savage Beast Pod. Yeah. Or email us, savagebeastpod at gmail.com if you don't use the Twitters. Um, yeah. And hey, we might start an Instagram. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um, you could you could like write them on a piece of paper and then photo them to us on Instagram. Um, so we started. We're we're also going to sort of touch on each uh, song as we go through the album. So uh, we started with "To Sheila," which uh, Joe uh, also contains our first chosen moment. So why don't you give us um, uh, what it is you love so much about this moment in this song? Just a matter of grace. 
summer star Braces all of me Highway The first moment um, is in the first song to Sheila, um, and it's the the beautiful bridge, um, which is uh, played, um, uh, uh, which is taken from actually a a, a banjo uh, version of the song. Most of the song is played on uh, an acoustic guitar one Billy used um, pretty much solely on a door um, and later sold on eBay. And it was definitely a time when I was like, I, I just wish I was rich so I could have spent, paid $5,000 for this guitar <laughs> that Billy played to Sheila on. Um, that I would never... That would be so worth it. I like $5,000 yeah. for that guitar sounds cheap to me. I would just, any other time, I would be like thinking about buying some like music memorabilia or like deluxe album. I'd be like, no, fuck it. I have the two Sheila guitar. And I would just like, <laughs> it would save me money. And I'd be like, honey, this is a great investment. Uh, <laughs> you're totally right, by the way. <laughs> uh, you're right. Um, so this, this beautiful bridge, um, which, you know, begins... Uh, um, I actually want to uh, read the uh, the lyrics, uh, but it's played on the banjo, and then it has this, uh, you know, kind of sw- uh, echoey um, reverb. Is the reverb? Term thank you. Um, this, you know, it has this uh, just one chord with a ton of reverb on the electric guitar that gets, uh, you know, played over it, um, and. Uh, the lyrics are lately i just can't seem to believe um discard my friends to change the scenery um uh it meant the yeah. world <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it meant the world to hold a bruising faith and now it's just a matter of grace um and i and then it goes from that into uh the third verse which is you know, a summer storm graces all of me. It reuses that word grace. Um, uh, and, and then that the bridge gets repeated over the final chorus. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, the, um, two, um, you could describe them as two different choruses or be kind of sung in counterpoint to one another. Um, and, and that effect is, I, I think, um, some of Billy's just best songwriting. I mean, at this point he was absolutely at the peak of his songwriting ability at his output. And here he uses it, um, to, uh, he showcases that, um, in a way where his lyrics are, well, still, um, you know, a bit of that angsty poetry, I I think, um, are restrained and thoughtful, and bring out um there's something that comes from this song that i just find on no other smashing pumpkin song um and and i think that it it holds a uh to to start the album this way um in some ways it was an easy choice to start this uh electric undistorted album with uh you know an acoustic song but it's it's so strong um as a piece of songwriting uh that it it 
makes this quiet statement without ever once, and I think this thing, without ever once dipping into that easy, um, you know, whining, crying emotion that so many, you know, acoustic Mm -hmm. songs had at that time. Um, you know, that, that, you know, when, when, uh, grunge rockers went acoustic, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is no glycerine. Right. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Perfect example. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, my brother actually, um, I am to me about a week, week and a half ago, Timbo, uh, since you know which my, ones my brothers are. Um, and, uh, he just randomly out of the blue because it was before our last episode was released um but after we recorded it uh said um that uh, uh he was so glad he married a woman who indulged his love of the smashing pumpkins and <laughs> uh to sheila is literally perfect he said um and he's not the kind of man who would misuse the word literally um so uh i praise yeah, exactly. Timbo's uh, a critical guy. I know. So I was like, well, you will love our next album uh, or next, <laughs> next episode. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, that was uh, a neat bit of serendipity. And uh, also he's correct because this song um, is as amazing as you said. I'm not going to reiterate everything. Um, I will say the the thing you mentioned where the bridge uh, becomes a harmonizing part on the final chorus. Yes. Um, is ingenious, um, especially because you hear the chorus a couple times first, and then you hear the bridge, which also comes in a little bit of a weird place. Because, I mean, the classic structure is, of course, like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. But then they throw the extra verse in the way in there. And um, between that and the harmonization of the bridge over the chorus... Um, those are two uh, characteristic tricks of this album that immediately uh, make themselves known that are both awesome every time. Uh, one is this sort of um, weird tweaking of song structures insofar as just sort of putting the, uh, a lot of times putting the elements that are part of uh, most pop songs, and Billy is definitely a pop songwriter, um, uh, in in weird orders and uh, yeah. sort of, changing around how they fit together and then also um uh just putting uh harmonizing uh over himself with uh diverging melodies basically um pretty much every time he does that on this album which he does a fair bit it is one of my favorite moments of this album to the point that i had to like not nominate all of them um <laughs> right yeah well billy's so, yeah i mean billy's favorite structure is like verse chorus verse chorus which diff kind of different song like that's exactly. yeah and this is like a, a a different uh direction a different interpretation of that like this is a less radical version of that exactly like my favorite song uh favorite pumpkin song and maybe favorite song hummer is is yeah. what you described the first time and then this is yeah yeah muzzle yeah yeah P- porcelina <laughs> just the list is very long very. um uh yeah um I had to read this quote. Billy Corgan uh, is from uh, their Pumpkins VH1 Storytellers episode where they played this. And he said it was the first song they recorded for Adore. Um, uh, 
when he finished recording it, when I finished recording it, I was shaking because I knew I had just stepped off the cliff from which there is no return. When we play this now, it reminds me of what defines us as a band to stand up for what we believe in no matter what. Which, okay, a little dramatic, but <laughs> also, I mean, it shows like what a statement it was to go this way when they were, you know, the, the most popular. They were, yeah. for some of the time that Melancholy was out, the most popular rock band in the world, or the biggest rock band in the world. Yeah, I was trying to think uh, how I would formulate that. I would say they were, in the post-Melancholy period, the they had the highest combined critical success popularity score, I yeah. think, right then. Like, U2 may have still been more popular or something right. like that, but people were, they were already an old person yeah, band. They, right. They were, they were they were the hottest and they were you know um well they were going to to lose out to the fact that no one cared about rock bands anymore pretty quickly but <laughs> um you know they also were not quite at the um it's shocking radiohead wasn't quite radiohead yet um we won't get into that uh yeah to sheila um it's beautiful i will say hearkening back to our last episode with mixes um the adore vinyl is famously a mono mix of the album. Um, and while I, some Pumpkins fans hold it in super high regard, and you can actually now get it as part of the re-release of Adore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's on CD. Um, I, I think this song in particular um, sounds really good because the vocals are um, emphasized and you can hear you know, the whole band singing on the oh, really yeah on the on the verse and the chorus so it's uh uh it's pretty beautiful that's interesting that that makes it better because Billy's vocals are already very high in this song yes um, yes in the mix. perhaps they're more delicate on the motto mix which is what i'll say um gotcha. okay. okay we got to go fast if we're we gonna do. get through all this oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay so next is avador we should we should just briefly discuss the songs that we didn't pick a moment from. yeah um, I will say uh, this song was the main single, and you can you can almost hear the studio execs being like, "Oh my God, this one at least rocks a little bit. It has to be the lead single," um, and it does. But it's also an entirely different type of rock. the The beat sounds slightly late '90s, dated yes. to me now. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and I'll also say it's mixed awful loud. Um, Listening to this, I listened to this album uh, for the first time in a while this week, and it occurred to me that this is probably by far the best audio setup I've ever listened to this album on, because uh-huh. now I have my headphone amp and my studio monitor headphones, so right. I'm getting a pretty sweet uh, experience out of it. And um, uh, so some of the louder songs in this album, I feel a little bit too overdriven to me, um, but that small criticism aside the song uh rocks and the guitar solo despite not being exactly the most pyrotechnic thing they ever put to tape is um one of the more rousing uh, guitar solos they ever did and uh fits really well with the um sort of uh angry love of the song expressed in the song i mean i i just agree i think that this song of of it's probably in because of its production like the weakest song i don't want to say weakest i don't dislike it i like listening to it um Mm -hmm. it's got it's really clever and fun um Mm -hmm. 
and uh it's it's billy's sense of humor which is like super dickish and dark um (laughs) and you know uh they whenever they play it live they you know dispense with the 90s beat and you know it it it's a great rock. You can you realize yeah. it's, a, it's a fucking great rock song. Um, yeah, we and, were once having a conversation with somebody about how about how much we loved Adore, and they were like, "Eh, it's lame." And um, uh, they said something about how they liked it live better. Or something we were like, "No, it's all it's all better," or, or uh, something like that. And then they said, "Oh, I could see how." Um, a door was better in the studio. We we're like, no, that's the one song that is better live. <laughs> um, yeah. I have no idea who the pro or third party I, I, in this ridiculous I, I, conversation was. I but. have no idea either. Um, uh, so yeah, Avador. Um, I, it's not the best representation of this album, um, no. but it's a weird, shitty video. Um, and Billy's strange <laughs> robot dance from it is what people first think of, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we made it sound like this song is worse than it is. I actually really like this song still, but it is, uh, it's it's not the, the strongest point of the album. Right. Um, all right, next is Perfect. The, yeah. Uh, tell us, Joe, uh, is it true that this is a spiritual sequel to 1979? No, I think that's bullshit that Billy made up. Um uh. <laughs> <laughs> I I I've heard that you know I've heard him say that and I just don't buy it at all. Um it it has none of the atmosphere or themes of 1979. Uh I do listening to this uh listening to this album this time. I noticed something on Perfect that I hadn't noticed before. There's kind of this br- big breath he takes at the beginning and oh yeah there, there's yeah and I, i'd i'd you know i was like oh yeah I, I kind of noticed it for the first time i really thought about it and and this song had a bit more um i felt the effort and the weariness behind it a little more there there was a uh it was more complex than i thought um previously um it's still um uh I, I think the Avador perfect Daphne descends run of songs um is uh all uh in in different ways um too much of a wall of pop production mm-hmm. um but um this is this like every song on the album whether it's you know one of my favorites one of my least favorites it's still peak billy songwriting and i still get into it when i listen to it yeah i would say it's very far from being one of my favorite pumpkin songs of all time uh but it's still uh, an excellent song and um uh like you said there is a sort of or like you hinted at anyway there's a sort of um uh attractive charming um world weary uh uh both yearning for uh perfection in love and also um <laughs> while at the same time knowing that it's it's not going to happen uh when he says i promise that will be perfect um you can very clearly sense him thinking um but actually i know what we won't be <laughs> yeah um he it's it's almost a it feels like a great pop song he wrote for somebody else yeah 
Um, That's true, actually. <laughs> Add some extra guitars and it could be a whole song almost. Yes. Um, all right. Uh, Daphne Descends. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a song uh, that's interesting. You just described it as uh, pop production. I never really felt that way. Um, it feels a little too abrasive for that for me. It's dark. Um, this one's darker. It's got this like purplish goth feel to it. <laughs> Purple is not the color that comes to mind for me. I think the color for this album song for me is more of like a an olive green uh, sort of. It, <laughs> I, I could I would have bought orange as well, like a deep orange. Huh. It's funny that we both have strong opinions about the color of this song. <laughs> Which, so far as I know, off the top of my head, has no color words in it. Um, although Billy did like to use those, so there might be one in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, uh, it's uh, it's got some fairly overdriven drums. And um, I will say, um, the part... I actually nominated one part of this uh, as one of my alternates for my favorite moment. But um, the the part where the beat sort of goes away... And it's just him and the sighing background vocals um, sort of call and responsing to each other uh, over um, the sort of abrasive synths and guitars of the song is one of my favorite bits of the album and uh, has is one of those things that's been stuck in my head roughly a thousand times over the past decade and a half. So uh, a good song, despite what you said earlier. Um Yes, uh, this song I I I definitely love this song. Um, even though I you know view it um, tied to sort of the first this first chunk of of songs on the album, um, and it ro- I mean it rocks, uh, mm-hmm. which is um, something that. I don't know. It's I, you know, all of like getting to even four songs into a door. I find myself having some trouble describing it uh, without <laughs> using itself as a reference. I mean, uh-huh. a door doesn't really sound like anything else, and Daphne descends is a great example of that. Like I, I, I mean, I, I know I could probably name some like shittier songs that sound like this you know there were songs in the 90s that had this kind of electro rock production and most of them were bad yeah Uh, and the fact that billy uh you know it's it's amazing that he was able to pull this off i mean in in the way that he did and the way that the band did across you know several drummers uh (laughs) with like none of which were the one who has prior to and after just driven the sound of this band um Mm -hmm. along with billy uh and with um a mix of uh, you know having recorded a two different very two very different places with two different producers um uh it's just um it's it's wild that that this song exists in in the way it does and is so good. Um, I just think nine out of ten times bands make this album, make this song, um, and it's you know I, I believe it got made, but I have a hard time believing how how good it is, and I can say <laughs> that for a lot of this album. Yeah, um, I uh, I completely agree. It's. It really is hard for me to think of any other good song that sounds like this song. Um, 
I also love the outro as slowly elements drop away. Um, and we just end up with Billy multi-tracking over himself saying, you love him, you love him for yourself. Yeah. Um, I will say and, that, uh, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, that's about it. I was okay. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say that, you know, a, a lot of the album, some of the album was um, this song included. Um, th- there was a session in Chicago uh, with the producer Brad Wood, um, who recorded, um, I think, six or seven of these songs with them. Um, and that session was scrapped, but uh, a lot of those reemerged um, as the basic tracks um, when they recorded the um uh the bulk of the album november through march in um in la um with mm. with bill corgan billy corgan being the the primary producer um at, at that point um so um and uh you know billy writes a lot about how the band was you know just this fractured entity where he had rented this space for all of them to stay at but james wouldn't he wouldn't like he only showed up at the studio and you know everyone was just wandering around la and occasionally coming to record and they were you know bringing in drummers and you know hmm. different drummers and firing them and uh you know the, the this album is definitely uh um it, it took a while to come together and it came together across a lot of different uh uh settings and with different personnel yeah, that's interesting. It's sort of like they, you know, they tried for one monumental double album with Melancholy to be a band, and then it just all fell apart yeah. <laughs> immediately yes. after that. Yes. Um, all right. Uh, so next is Once Upon a Time, and I'm going to call an audible here, Joe, because I okay. realized I forgot to name one of my favorite, nominate one of my favorite moments. All right. Um, which says something that I picked eight and uh, that I re- <laughs> moments that I really love, and then realized that I left one out. And I'm doing that partially because you already stepped on one of my moments that was going to be in there. And we also have another <laughs> moment from that same song. Yes, so. yes. I, I realized <laughs> that afterwards. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't care. This gives me an excuse to talk about uh, Once Upon a Time. that was uh once upon a time and uh uh, as you heard again the multi-tracked uh self-harmonizing with uh with two different melodies that would be great on their own uh part uh is what gets me um not that there's anything wrong with the rest of the song but that just brings it all together and this is another song that uh this is probably the one that i probably uh oh that was poorly worded uh, <laughs> this is the song that i uh felt the least comfortable about liking uh in this sort of uh 
uh, teenage masculine insecurity we talked about earlier um, because there's there's just nothing tough about this song at all. Um, it's called Once Upon a Time, which is already a fairy tale thing. And uh, the lyrics are about um, just surrender and vulnerability. And, um, and, and Billy's mom, who had <laughs> just recently passed away. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and the, and it's, it's nearly, if not actually, the softest song on the album. Um, and, but now, uh, in my age, this is one that I can just love unreservedly. It's, mm. it's so gorgeous. Uh, nobody, honestly, um, I don't know if anybody that of my favorite musicians anyway, just writes, uh, it's crazy that we had a rock God who also turned out to be able to write beautiful vocal melodies, um, like in a, you know, of a Cole Porter type caliber that were just, you know, unvarnished um, beauty, but also not uh, saccharine at the same time. Um, able to able to communicate both uh, loveliness and sorrow uh, in equal measure. And uh, that's that's what this song does to me. Um, I You know, I, I think I'm going to my praise for this song is probably a little more reserved. I mean, I just it's it's beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, the, the vocals are gorgeously created. Um, I, I think that I, for some reason that the production, that sort of, uh, rhythmic honking that goes on mm-hmm. in terms of the instrumentation, um, the bells and whistles seemingly literally is like, um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty, but it's not my... Uh, it it's never fully attracted me, yeah, um, into the song. Um, I think that bothered me more when I was younger too, and now they're just nice accoutrements to yeah. the, to the central things I love. Right. I mean, I, I care less uh, in some ways about like how much I like a song now, and this song is just a great part of the album. And that's uh, it's another feature of Adore is that as you listen to it, the songs can kind of you know, um they can kind of slide by in a way that's um not it's not background listening but you know you can just kind of uh, uh process them and think about them mm-hmm. um in a way that doesn't require um uh in a way that can be very intellectual i guess is what i'll say yeah okay next is uh tear um, yes and this one uh what a song that i i probably called tear for a while before i realized that the <laughs> word was in the song and it was definitely tear um but uh we'll go ahead and play a bit of this because the uh first chorus and or first verse and chorus are uh, another one of my favorite moments from this album Lights came on lost in moda Saw you there. 
was the uh, first verse and chorus, which um, I think I think that verse must be the most minimalist, uh, the most minimal uh, part of this uh, album, with just uh, Billy's voice yeah. and. Uh, we're, this, uh-huh. we're skipping when you you called the last uh, once upon a time the slowest and this one the most minimal. Are yeah, we just, we're just gonna ignore Annie Dog as a song, I guess. <laughs> well, so, so so once upon a time was the one when I said perhaps the mo- the softest for once upon a time. <laughs> this song is not the softest song, but that moment may be the most stripped down. Yes, on the album. yes, true, yes. Just Billy's voice and a couple of uh, beeping synths, um, yeah. and uh, I have to say I love the tiny touches added to it like there's a like a tenth of a second long uh guitar scratch towards the end of the verse um that i listen for every time i listen to this song Mm. Um, yes yes (laughs) i know the sound exactly and then um you can hear the guitar is sort of humming into view uh just before it explodes into the chorus which has already been teased by the intro um but uh uh this moment made my list i mean i've always loved the song uh it was attractive uh when i was young because you could almost convince yourself it was a straight ahead rock song um and uh but this time it it gave me like severe chills when i re-listened to this album in preparation uh for this uh episode so um uh uh just that combo of billy's voice almost all alone uh leading into um one of the more uh over the top grandiose riffs and me- and vocal melodies on the album um along with some of his more full-throated singing on the album uh works uh works just great for me uh it's definitely uh has this sing-along quality to it i, I don't mean that mm-hmm. in, in that sort of genre of song but where you want to belt out absolutely him you know screaming you know tear me apart um you know where is your heart uh where is your heart gone to mm. um and uh drums on this one by matt walker um who uh you know was a he was the touring drummer once jimmy quit and his contributions to um adore are um uh pretty spectacular and um you know he he kind of dropped out halfway um, into the production with because you know Billy was that peak asshole. Um, <laughs> although of course they are still friends to this day and have played together many times afterwards, mm. um, including at the Pumpkins quote unquote final show at the Metro. But I dig- digress. Um, uh, this song, okay. First off, weirdly inspired by the movie Crash, um, not the shitty Oscar-winning one, but the super cool. Uh, uh, film about people having sex in car crashes. Wait, I did not know that. Actually. Yeah, that's part of that's. And sort of I where, love that movie. That's where the kind of the the overall themes from the song came, or like the metaphor yeah. for the song came from. Yeah, it makes um, sense now that you say it. Yeah, and I think Billy wrote this song. He, it it almost made it to the i uh sorry the um lost highway soundtrack instead of i mm. but um fortunately uh i'm sure that version would not have been nearly as thoughtful or luscious and i think thankfully we have it here in its adore version um and it's um it's great and i mean it it definitely uh has 
is a theatrical song, uh, mm-hmm. but in a in a very um, uh, unique and um, unique way. What do what, yeah. you know? What are even are the emotions uh, kind of? It's just, I mean, it's just this. pure, you know, like romantic longing. Yeah. yeah. Where's your heart? Where's your heart gone to? Kind of says it all. Without um, happiness, you know. Yeah. Um, I Have you listened to the 2014 remaster of this album? Uh, I have. Okay. I haven't. Um, I was curious because actually this song and Avador and maybe um, parts of Pug I feel like could actually use a little bit of a cleanup. Like they sound a little muddy to me at times. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna Especially have to, the song. You know, I, I wasn't making those sorts of notes because I haven't listened to like my, like a flack version of that in a, mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, okay. So, well, this is homework for, for us and the listeners yes, to find out yes. <laughs> whether um, the remaster the, is worth a damn. Most of the Pumpkins remasters are um, generally well done, but they they don't yeah. – um, they they suffer from some problems of subtlety as so many. Oh, really? Uh, as, uh, problems of lack of subtlety as so many um, remasters do. That, that's interesting because the Pumpkins, I think, always did master their albums with – uh, less uh, loudness and more room for uh, sonic dynamics. I remember having to turn their albums up in the car louder than most other bands um, when I was a kid. Well, that's I mean that's the exact problem. I think they uh, benefited from you know imperfections uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the times, and I think that that is hard to um, artificially recreate later on. Um, certainly, when you had Flood producing melancholy he really wanted the band to sound um not live but he he wanted to capture moments that seemed very real um which is most evident i think in billy's vocals and in some of the the takes Mm. they picked for that you know if you think about xyu and how the outro to that isn't you know this clean building jam but kind of this weird dark mess um yeah and that, uh, it, and Adore is sort of, I think, this song in particular might be like the collision of that with, a, uh, you know, with Pro Tools and mm. this uh, ability to add infinite sounds and um, infinite takes. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of layering of, of something <laughs> in yes. this song. Apparently now Billy demands that um his vocals be cut together by the syllable oh so. <laughs> that's ludicrous yeah um, uh, <laughs> all right um crestfallen joe do you have any thoughts for that on that song well crestfallen track seven on a door can it just is crestfallen i think that there was a time when people i think back in the day because it was a very like it was a very accessible song it was considered as the third single there there is no official third single to this album i had Um, the uh the like uh you know distribution to radio stations copy of that uh, yeah they made one for crestfallen to sheila and tear i think no i think daphne it's ends Oh really? Okay, yeah. you might be right. Um, and um, 
I don't know. Does it hold up, Paul? I, I found that I did not like it as much as I thought I would uh, going back to it. I still like the sort of um, uh, grimy, uh, uh, sentimental keyboard riff uh-huh. that is the backbone of the song. But I feel like, um, uh, you know, it just the the who am I uh, chorus um, doesn't quite have enough going for it to be amongst the best songs on the album. It's not bad, but I didn't find it as um, gripping as uh, some of the best moments on this album. It drags a bit. Um, This song, Billy wrote um, uh, thinking he might give it to Courtney Love and ended up keeping it for himself. Mm. Well, again, uh, it's worth it just for that keyboard part. But uh, uh, it's interesting because I really do think that when I was younger, this was one of my uh, I liked the song better compared to the rest of them. But oh well, I'm glad that, you know, working so hard to memorize all these Smashing Pumpkins facts has uh, led to me becoming a millionaire through our (laughs) podcast. Hard work pays off. Yeah, uh, I want to acknowledge, in case I forget to later, you are destroying me on Pumpkins trivia in this episode, <laughs> and you will continue to do so because <laughs> uh, you you already have, have outpaced whatever I could bring to the table. But uh, well done. Thank you. Thank you. I do okay. what I can. So next we have the song uh, that I have for years in my head because I have a bad habit of uh, doing dumb wordplay internally. Uh, called Apples Plus Oranges. Um, <laughs> well, now I'm going to call it that. <laughs> Anytime you put a J in a weird place, I'm probably going to gonna uh, Hispanicize it. Um, but uh, this song is, uh, you know, even though I can't think of an 80s song that actually sounds like this, it feels like an 80s pop rock new wave type song to me. And... Um, uh, uh, I would say I thought the song would suffer from sounding muddy as well, but actually it sounds great on my modern audio equipment. And um, uh, it's not uh, necessarily a transcendent song, but it's a really catchy, um, somewhat melancholy pop song that has always uh, stuck with me and popped into my head uh, at various times throughout my life. Um, and uh, uh, sort of closes out what I think of as side one for me in a nice um uh, uh attractive way certainly the transition uh, between the two halves of the album um whether it's on side one or side two interesting i may perceive it as slightly more side two that's fair um uh or the journey it's the journey from side one to side two uh mm-hmm. i'm surprised how well this this song holds up because it seems kind of a novelty song with it's like rolling running beat in the background um but Mm -hmm. the the songwriting here is really strong and um uh the 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 lyrics where it's you know the what if you know what Mm -hmm. if what is isn't true what are you gonna do like you know it's it's people still write songs with you know kind of reductive lyrics like that and it still works i mean they you know they they work and i think here um the lack of this song is not is the least pretentious song on the album somehow Um, that may be fair yeah (laughs) yeah and and so um it uh it it functions well i get stuck in my head um but i think all the time and i think we just keep hitting this theme that like 
well, why is this song so good? It's because you know, it was written by Billy Corgan in 1997 or 1998. <laughs> and, um, you know, that is, um, that is a sure route for a song to um, hold up. But I mean, I guess, I guess what I would say more specifically is it's, it's catchy and melancholy, which I think is true of a lot of this album. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pumpkins. I mean, it's a pumpkin song yeah. um, in a way that a lot of this album uh, diverges from the overall pumpkins aesthetic, or at least obvious representations of it. Yeah. I mean, you could drop this song onto Machina, and I don't think you would notice uh, yeah. the difference. It sounds actually a lot like uh sacred raindrops and sun showers oh yeah right that's even better than although in my head it's more of an analog to the sacred and the profane which is yeah not fair not not wrong they both have that sort of like loud murky thing going on all the time paul i was thinking we could do a 30 minute uh, diversion back into machina at this point what do you (laughs) (laughs) can i take my pants off first (laughs) yes uh <laughs> How did a door influence Machina? Um, oh, I, I, man, I have thirty minutes of thoughts on that, and uh, I will refrain. Yeah, I'm going to shut you down right there. Um, tell us what you think about Pug, Joe. Okay, I'm having, I'm calling an audible okay. as well, even though I don't have any moments to sacrifice for said audible, <laughs> and apparently all my moments are. Um, uh, later in the album anyway but I'll, I'll just you know we, we're combining our for martha moment i don't think i get an extra one for that but <laughs> <laughs> fair fair you can just say this is your moment okay um so play I, us some of pug joe yeah Paul, maybe I'm going to blow your mind, but I I think that it was hard for me to pick a moment from Pug because I think it's the best song on the album Mm. as a song. I mean, I just think that here, if I'm trying to convince someone, if if they're like, oh, Adore, I've never really heard that. Maybe I've heard Avador. Is it a good album? I think I'm going to play them Pug because I'm like, this is a cool song. It's got start to finish these awesome sounds um it goes from this very hard um you know electronic techno sound in suddenly into these lush Mm -hmm. uh journeys um when you go inside where it's warm um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that uh it it feels uh, like sophisticated and layered to me um and and i just love I, I love Pug. It's a great song. Um, and I, I could probably um, 
I guess it's unfair to call it the best song on the album just because there's so many songs on this album that are good for so many different reasons. But I I think that it might be um the the standard of a door. I think it's the best song that is definitely a a straight ahead pop song. Um would be a fair way to say it. Okay, yes. Yes. Um like you can't put to Sheila on the radio. Uh, right. At least not since the 70s. But um uh but um pug is great i think i think what's ingenious about it is um that it does uh what should have been a fairly obvious tactic but i can't think of too many other times it happened of uh inverting the classic 90s uh song structure of a quiet verse loud chorus quiet verse with a loud aggressive verse that then gives way to like you said a very lush uh, literally in the uh, in the lyrics, inviting and uh, warm um, chorus that has the effect of uh, in a fairly um, uh, maybe maybe a fairly uh, obvious way, but still effective. Uh, you know, sort of using the verses to describe the um, pain and uh, struggle of life, and then the verses are sort of like just the um, the comfort and soothing quality of coming back to uh, a loved one in a happy home and whatever. Um, and that sounds a little bit uh, smarmy when I put it that way, but uh, the just the straight up hooks are good enough that it uh, overcomes any of that and is, uh, is very effective as a result. Yeah. I think uh, the inversion is something that is really effective, always gets me when it happens. It's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, I think I've figured out what we're trying to say with this song is that it's a guitar rock song. I mean, it's got, (laughs) you know, they're rock there, you know, going for it. There's, there is a riff, um, they're not mashing the distortion pedals, but, um, you know, this is a Smashing Pumpkins rocker, um, the way it's done uh, for a door. Um, yeah. And, and it's, uh, uh, and so in that way, I'm I'm just glad it's here. Yeah. Shout out to Joey Waronker uh, for yeah. doing the drumming and uh, to his cousin Anna Waronker for fronting that dog. Man, that see there you go. You got the trivia going. <laughs> I was I so one. excited to make that connection when I figured it out back then. Because I like, know I <laughs> that, that that information was not like generally available. Yeah, uh, I remember being like, there can't be two Ronkers. They have to be related. <laughs> um, anyway, um, okay, let's move on to the tale of Dusty and Pistol Pete, which again we will play a sample of uh, for you. Yeah, all. let's play the beginning of it. Dusty Shake 
here's Billy as a storyteller um, coming out and saying, I can take on this genre of, you know, just uh, a lyrics driven narrative song and make it my own, make it a pumpkin song. Um, and I think this moment is key to the album because um, it, it sort of immediately draws you in after so much of the album is kind of challenging you and taking you in different directions. Um, here is a, a really uh, literary um, concession, um, which, uh, you know, the, 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 the album, um, I think the album as a whole uh, reads as a novel um, mm. in some ways. You know, I find it to be a very literary experience in that Adore is probably the only album that I can enjoy as something I like listen to halfway and put down and then pick up and listen to the next half. I mean, that's so rare for me. Like I, I, there are some albums where I enjoy listening to like, you know, three or four songs in a row that are really well sequenced, but generally I like either like to listen to a song or listen to the album and a door just sort of is breaks up into parts. And I think this is, this is, you know, if you, whether you see it as a novel or like a book of short stories or something like that, I think there's that, you know, as I said before, this intellectual quality to it, where you're, you're challenged and um, made to think um, with every new chapter and um, this song, which is about a, uh, you know, a, um, a, a dead lover um, haunting her man and who uh, killed her, I believe, and driving him mad um, <laughs> is, uh, um, you know, one of the most straightforward stories on <laughs> straightforward, quote unquote, stories on it. Um, and I think that um, it's sort of electro country production um, <laughs> is kind of a, a you know it's a bold statement to be like we're gonna do this and they do it well i mean it still holds up um, yeah yeah uh, i remember a kid uh from a year younger than us in high school uh made fun of the sort of do 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 drums part um, yeah. and i was like whatever dude um i will say this uh you have always uh, had this as one of your favorite songs and i haven't always loved it quite to that degree but it is excellent. Country Electro is a great description of the production. And um, the chorus is excellent. Just the way they, uh, the song sort of slides into it. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where there's just masterful touches that without getting loud and really changing the dynamics of the song, um, elevate the sort of uh, the, the emotional tenor of it by you know adding a little bit of percussion and um just raising the changing the vocal delivery style a little bit uh for that chorus and it's a dramatic enough shift that um uh i don't know that moment between when she calls to him and then you're waiting for the chorus is just the perfect amount of uh making you wait for it and then they release the tension and uh uh it's great from there on Totally. Um, and uh, yeah, not to spend too much time on this song, um, but. 
I think I, I think part of the one problem I will have with it is the yeah. <laughs> the name Dusty and Pistol Pete is sort of a a, a dorky name for a song. But that's you know okay. that's that's very true. <laughs> I think that's that sums up um, uh, the song well. Um, it's it's dorky. Good. <laughs> um, well let's done. let's move on to Annie Dog. Yeah. So this is a great song. Um, also, my my brother Timbo, who loves the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, well, I mean, the family had it, but it was really his dog. Uh, we had a dog named Annie. Nice. Who died of cancer? Oh. Um, uh, no, wait. Annie didn't. Audi, the previous Schnauzer, died of cancer. Um, Annie uh, was given away for being annoying. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, my dad and I have dog relationship issues. Um, but uh, anyway. Um, is this the only song on the album that has like just literally nothing electronic on it, Joe? I suppose so. I mean, unless you count the um, the strange outro song seventeen. Um, yeah, but uh, even that is heavily processed and effectified. True, true. Um, yes, in a way. Yes. Yeah. I'm say yes. I I didn't listen to it with that in mind, but I think so. Well, I was curious. I actually did pay attention to it this last time I listened to it. And it really is, as far as I can tell, exactly, uh, what is that, six elements. You've got the piano, the vocals, the bass, the drums, and uh, a very light amount of electric guitar. So actually just yeah. five. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, I don't think there's anything else in it. And uh, I have to say, you know, we made fun of Matt Walker a lot when we were kids because um, he was replacing our our – all-time drum hero jimmy chamberlain and i think we reacted a lot like uh kids in a broken home due to the new stepdad like he's probably (laughs) he's probably actually a fine dad but we're still just like fuck you man get out of my face you're not my real dad um but (laughs) neither of us have divorced parents but whatever um we can appropriate that experience um (laughs) anyway uh he's awesome on this song i was noticing today uh just the fills um, are all uh, perfect. Uh, the first one is just like him hitting the hi-hat twice a little bit harder. Um, but even even that is brilliantly done. And th- there are a couple more throughout the song that are the perfect amount of uh, interesting and yet uh, understated. And uh, that uh, combined with... Um, a lovely uh but simple piano riff that i uh at one point knew how to play um and billy's sort of most unvarnished uh uh, vocals where he's almost uh speaking at times um make a really affecting song once again um i you know i i stand hard for matt walker um i i have learned to i mean through I think his live recordings with the band in, in particularly 1997, um, he uh, provided them with a, uh, such a steady, awesome driving groove that um, I, I think when they're trying to do something um, and build their like pumpkin sound, he can often be an asset that where Jimmy uh, couldn't help but participate in that. Um, mm-hmm. So there, in, in some ways, I think that, there are some songs that Matt is, you know, um, his style of drumming is better suited to the pumpkins than, than Jimmy. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I think that's just a function of, you know, 
as picking Jimmy Chamberlain's replacement, they were able to pick from one of, you know, a pool of amazing drummers and picked one who is um, outstanding. Um, And uh, yeah, I, I, this song is um, uh, very good. I don't have too much (laughs) to add, except that there is a great bootleg of this song. um, I think from a show they played, She's in Charlotte or Atlanta. It's amazing how I know these things. Um, um, where, uh, wait, let me find the part in the lyrics. Um, uh, when he near the end, when he says, "And by the no and in the yes," so keep in mind this is nineteen ninety eight. He changed Annie to Monica goes. If you couldn't guess, <laughs> a simple man, a president. <laughs> Which still cracks me up. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, kids, look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> um. Um, which is actually what the song is about. It's about, you know, um, uh, I think a woman who is um, negotiating power. Yeah. And, and trading love for power. Um, she digs the wires in our babies. Um, yeah exactly couldn't be more clear than that (laughs) yeah okay uh speaking of that let's talk about a song called shame um shh 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 yeah go ahead and play us some of that about shame joe well i mean shame um has uh it's it's led by the drums the bass comes in it's got Mm -hmm. such a strong rhythm section um it's not the most uh you know it's not the 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 most showy song on the album but um uh it's um uh, about the death of the lead singer of in excess. Um, oh, really? Um, yeah. No um, or, you know, at least that's the, the driving theme. Um, and it's, what can I say? This, this song has probably grown on me more than any other song on a door. I think I, you know, it was kind of lost in the, the woods when you, when I first listened to it because it's, it's such a, uh, simple arrangement in way, in a way, you know, like mm-hmm. the, it's, it has less of those uh, fancy production elements, but um, it has a full band sound. You feel like they were in that room, you know, playing two guitars, bass and drums. Um, 
at at points recording this and um when you are listening to it on you know um you know good headphones you just get into the fucking groove mm-hmm. and I, I just wanted to highlight like how here as a many points of this album when you draw that out um you you just get um you know this uh a great band uh so well produced um that's uh rewarding the uh thoughtful listener <laughs> yeah um i picked uh, i nominated it as one of my alternates uh the moment uh it's actually i think after the first or second chorus um when everything drops out and for a mo- for like half a half a time through the the theme uh it's just the bass and then the drums come back in and um uh, if Darcy played the bass on this song, then let's give her a shout out for once. Uh, she um, she really nails a sort of like it's not like a complex bass part, but it's it carries the song and it's very uh, soulful in how it's played. Um, just the right amount of sort of uh, uh, dynamic shifts uh, between the uh, the higher notes and the lower notes uh, as you go through it. And then, like you said, the full band uh, comes in. Um, with the groove, especially from the drums uh, coming on top of that. And it's surprising, like you said, how such a simple uh, song in construction uh, can be six minutes and 40 seconds long and not really drag. Um, Part of it is that the extended outro, he adds that new element of the hello, goodbye, you know, you know, let's cry part that is uh, just... It's, again, a very simple melody, but it's extremely poignant nonetheless. And um, uh, now that I know that it's about a dead artist, it kind of makes more sense. The po- uh, poignant is a perfect word for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. Um, and I will <laughs> say that I, I think Darcy and James, um, at, you know, we, we're in the phase of the pumpkins where they are um, playing their parts um, as mm-hmm. much as they ever did. And with The Door, it was more that they're um, – input on you know the the structure and the sound was you know more reduced Mm. um because billy was such a driving force with this album um and there so little of it i think was you know played um you know as a full band i mean as much as melancholy a song might have like 20 guitar overdubs i mean all those songs are built on you know the four of them in the studio yeah. playing and that's just a, a lot less true with a door that makes a lot of sense um at points all right points. yeah okay uh moving on uh we'll play um behold the nightmare which for me i think contains the most striking moment uh on the album yeah uh, definitely one i remember the first time i heard it so here we go
so that's like the middle part of Behold the Nightmare, which um, might be yet another terrible Billy Corgan pun. Um, he's obviously very fond of those. Um, but uh, um, because actually when you listen to him sing and the nightmare rides on in the song, like there's no sense in which I feel like there's an interpretation where nightmare one word as in a bad dream like makes sense there uh, yeah i think no, he's, just, he's talking about a horse yeah <laughs> but but he couldn't resist the pun anyway um anyway um so uh this this song like uh is another one where for a while i was a little bit conflicted about some of the the less uh aggressive uh touches on it um i'm still not sure i'm totally crazy about the sort of like sound in the background yep i i um, literally have there's uh, a bit too much weird whooshing and chirping <laughs> exactly on this one but despite that um uh the um i love every other part of it and so i can i can overlook that uh the the verses are nice the chorus is appropriately uh yearning and then you have this almost sort of uh, gospely breakdown after the first chorus. That's that's one of those things I was talking about when we were talking about Tushila. Like this is spe- this song especially, he just puts the elements of songs in weird orders, and uh, it works great. Um, so we get sort of a weird gospely breakdown that then ends with um, uh, one of the most aggressive uh, guitar uh, guitar notes or chords in the whole album. And it's just one. Like he hits it once and sustains it as long as he can. Yep. And makes it keeps that feedback going. (laughs) Yeah. Keeps it really loud in the mix. And it's really distorted and grating. And yet the rest of the song maintains its sort of like sleepy, peaceful groove um, until he finally comes back with uh, the most impassioned part of the song vocally. And. also, the fact that you have sort of a double chorus in this song. You have the verse, um, and then you have the... Um, I can't go on. Yeah, I can't part. go on. And then you finally get the full release of the End the Nightmare yeah. Rides On. So all yeah. those together, um, just completely brilliant song construction. Um, and uh, with that one striking moment that, honestly, I've never heard anybody do anything like that, really. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's brilliant. Um, it's, I've always yeah. loved that moment. It's it's a it's a moment that stands out on the album, and uh, I think as with that moment, contrasted with some, you know, kind of questionable whooshing, um, this <laughs> I mean, this song it it's the best and the worst of the album, and you know the best is eighty to eighty five percent of it, um, yeah. for sure. Um, the uh, the gospel breakdown, the uh, singers on that are uh, Jimmy and Dennis Flemian from the Frogs. Mm-hmm. Um, well known from Euphoria, um, <laughs> if you're a fan of that Smashing Pumpkins concert tape. Um, uh, and yeah. I think this song has that, probably in some ways gives you the most, it's such a tease, you know, that one note. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really you want there to be more after that but then you're rewarded in a different way and i think that's Mm -hmm. a perfect description of how you're not satisfied the first time you listen to this song you it grows on you and you um uh learn and appreciate 
um, how brilliantly the different parts are produced and structured. Yeah. And I would say uh, that's it's true that it has grown on me. I mean, definitely would not have been the case uh, 20 years ago, but now um, uh, whooshes and all, it, it might be my favorite song on the album. There you go. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so let's play some of uh, the epic for Martha, Joe. Yes. And in fact, people, we're going to give you going to give you the very end so spoiler alert maybe just pause the podcast and listen to the whole song if you haven't listened to it uh, i agree i agree Paul, where can we start with For Martha? Um, I'll say it's the last reported sighting of the melancholy pumpkins. Hmm. Um, Here we return to the um, uh, American Gothic of of melancholy, this this, um, beautiful Victorian cyber rock Mm -hmm. um, uh, sort of stretched out, stretched thin and... uh, decorated with um you know the the embellishments of a door um and uh, as we said before um you know here are the pumpkins for the only time on this album uh indulging us in um an extended distorted guitar mm-hmm. um uh just face melting gorb beautiful uh, <laughs> feast I, I, who can how can you describe um i mean that that word nectar is a good <laughs> word for it um uh and I, I it's and and then it's also it's unique in the i don't know it's a unique song for the pumpkins as so many of these are but where to have that their full power um um used here in this manner is um awesome it's awesome (laughs) yeah what's striking about it is as we've discussed um when the guitars hit on this it's by far the most uh intense and forward use of them um in the style of like you said melancholy combined with uh, a lot of that uh, melodic piano stuff you get on melancholy yeah um but with i mean the the guitars sound a little more electronic uh and as would be appropriate to adore right um uh, where again know, billy is uh you know a master of guitar sound oh yes absolutely yeah. and he 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 leaves it mostly in the closet this time but he just crushes it right here yes. um and what's um what's impressive is that this is also uh, on a fairly sentimental album, perhaps the most nakedly sentimental song, and it's also the one that that at least has the hardest rocking passage. Yeah, um, it's about uh, again his dead mother, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know I think what's amazing about a song that's 
um, about a sentimental subject that spares no um, it, 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 it does it does not like hold back in favor of subtlety in any way I mean this is a this is a very um, over-the-top emotional operatic song and yet uh, I don't dislike that at all I'm usually very sensitive to things that right. are pandering or trying too hard or uh, reaching for big emotions and this one uh, just nails it I mean part of it is that there is some uh, nuance and subtlety in the construction of the song in that um, they really really uh, stretch out the build-ups uh, the crescendos um, as you're like even as you're getting to uh, the loud guitar part in the middle of the song and uh, when you're hearing it for the hundredth time like I am and I know it's coming it's still uh, amazing how long it takes how long they can sort of edge you on the way towards that um yeah and i mean i think <laughs> i think that it's i think that a lot of that the sentimentality is so well earned by the rest mm -hmm. of the album i think yeah, it's, it's positioning true. here you know as this climax where you know the emotions of the protagonist are, are naked and he, he kind of reaches this um uh place of um what's the word i'm looking for uh it's an emotional release uh, uh, catharsis catharsis thank you um uh -huh. where he you know kind of uh, lays his soul bare um mm -hmm. lays bare his soul um that uh effect is good i mean you know i think that its position in the album is absolutely um you know uh the the, the position of this one song with this uh this distorted passage near the end as sort of the um uh as as the the high point of the the narrative is um probably the best evidence that this album was you know kind of sequenced in a way that was um very conscious of the you know um intellectual journey through it if you mm -hmm. will um as far as an album can get to that point which i you know um um and uh yeah i i would say one other really effective thing about this song before we discuss the outro which is actually the moment you named yeah. um is uh how well it blends uh it contrasts uh upward rising melodies with or themes with uh downward falling themes um so you have the piano the soft piano part at the beginning is very slowly gradually uh, going up most of the time um, in tone, mm -hmm. and then the chorus uh, just releases all of that with the da -na 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 -na, uh, bit. And uh, again, it may be sort of an obvious technique, but it's uh, it's deployed just beautifully. And then the guitar part again is again rising. And then finally, um, it ends in a moment of uh, in a sort of uh, palate cleanser of stasis with a I think actually just plain looped clean guitar chord um that takes us to the final bit yeah um and it's it's uh that the outro of the song is um uh, this moment where you kind of can pause and reflect on the whole album and again billy's you know has created a sound that you've just never heard on guitar anywhere else mm -hmm. um and it 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 fades in and only spends a moment 
at the highest volume before mm-hmm. fading out again. But uh, it takes it, it builds there so slowly. Like yes. you keep thinking it's as loud as it's gonna be and then yes. it gets a little louder until it's almost full song volume. And it it is very um I don't know. It's I'm just thankful that um you know it that someone was able to so consciously build a song like this and for mm-hmm. it to to work and not just be, you know, have um you know sort of uh, cheap sentiment or just sort of the effects be cool or just sound awesome, but mm-hmm. for all of this to come together as um a really well thought out um you know poem you might say is an awesome uh experience it's incredible yeah i mean the the in in our in modern times you know since the (laughs) 70s maybe the 60s um maybe even forever i don't know the instinct of the intellectual cool kids is to retreat from the sappiness the kitsch that uh, attracts the bourgeoisie so much into uh, sort of irony and coldness and so um when somebody manages to to sail between the scylla and the charybdis there um and create great art that is uh overtly sentimental um that's actually the best thing and uh, yeah. uh it, it's great to see an artist pull it off yeah um shall we go to blank page yeah so that leads us into blank page the sort of um the sort of loose uh post climactic um uh come down song that uh i think closes the album perfectly and we'll play a sample for you now yeah the rain falls my friends call leaking rain probably one of the most intensely personal songs of my life um Mm. in that there is a very specific failed uh love endeavor that it is absolutely tied to for me interesting Um, (laughs) yeah you know who it is without me even saying it okay um but uh just based on the timing um (laughs) for her sake on the one in one million chance she ever hears about this podcast i'll leave her name out of it right um because she didn't deserve do anything to deserve that uh just somebody i had a crush on that never worked out with at all um but so once you know this is a song that is uh lyrically very much about um uh sort of coming to terms with a a concluded relationship and so um as he did so many times billy corgan just narrated my feelings perfectly with this um and on top of that of course he did it with uh one of his most gorgeous songs um which has 
not only uh, a beautiful filtered piano riff that um, I can tell you from having sampled it once for a beat I made uh, has a surprising amount of variation uh, in it. Um, it really goes a lot of different directions with the chords. He yeah. Uses. Yeah. Uh, um, even though the, the rhythm, uh, apart from a few breakdown sections, uh, sort of maintains a fairly steady gait. Um, so he gives you that. And then he gives you um, uh, yet again, wonderful self harmonization on the vocals particularly at the beginning when he's doing a very low register part and a uh, half voice falsetto part at the same time. And then he sort of um, sings over himself at the end and beginning of each line and drops in and out the various parts. Um, And then uh, just the perfect little touches of weird sounding guitar stuff uh, in the background that build a little bit and reach their peak uh, when the final chorus comes in. Um, it's just yet again, masterful construction along virtually every dimension of the song and, uh, combine that with, um, really, uh, uh, some of his most, um, his most, uh, heartfelt lyrics. Uh, uh, this is, um, this is among my favorite songs of all time. And, uh, yeah. uh I will think about it till the day I die. I'm pretty sure. I think so. I mean, I think the lyrics are, again, you know, uh, uh, simple, unadorned poetry that um, Mm -hmm. really, really function. Um, uh, You can you can read them probably having known the song, you could just read them and and just feel the uh, true weight of the emotion. Um, It's all earned. Um, And I think that uh, just throughout the album and here in particular, I mean, point out that that the lack of the distortion mm-hmm. um you know distortion puts a layer of anger between you and kind of the true emotion i mean especially in smashing pumpkin songs but in so many like 90s rock songs and in songs that follow in the grunge tradition now and you know for a door and um this song exemplifies it you have to be ready to feel the desperate total nowness of billy's <laughs> full range of emotion uh, which is usually sadness um, <laughs> um and but and and also the the beauty of that um yeah. you know uh-huh. they there there's no separation uh, from it here and um so you you're not waiting for the release you were um just there listening and processing and being deeply affected by the emotion yeah um and you've pointed out actually on on several of these songs including this one i would never really thought about the the guitar on blank page um but you know even um just thinking about it um uh, i I could hear the sound so clearly and that's Mm -hmm. throughout the album there's a lot of the touches of of you know the amazing um, guitar work that are that are toned down to uh instead of um yeah they're know. the filigrees and not the 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 sculpture itself right know. yes absolutely they're not they're not serving to um add static or make it harder to see the picture they they're just part of the actual um you know pure image yeah and you know you talked about how you have to be ready for this um emotional state and uh as famously of course the world uh was not ready um when this <laughs> album came out and still maybe uh, never has gotten around to being ready and uh you know listening to this again i was thinking you know 
Billy has been bitter pretty much ever since Adore about how his career has turned out. Yeah. Um, and and vocally and kind of unapologetically bitter about it. Uh, maybe he doesn't know how bitter he sounds, but he's... He knows. He definitely knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, and part of that was he was an iconoclast before all this. Uh, yeah. But, but um, he seems to have gotten shook by the world not receiving Adore well and never really fully recovered. And I... I kind of get it actually because um you know uh with uh with Siamese Dream and Melancholy he did some really ambitious things especially with Melancholy and uh you know then he did with Adore something that a lot of rock bands uh and and self-styled rock you know musical geniuses have tried to do in the pop tradition which is just to uh radically shift gears and prove that they can do something totally different that uh, demonstrates their own virtuosity um, as opposed to their own gimmickry. Um, and unlike almost all of them, he just, he just fucking nailed it. Uh, he pulled it yes. off entirely. Yes. <laughs> um, he produced uh, basically a double album worth of beautiful love songs, which is exactly what he set out to do. I mean, this, this album is 72 minutes long. In, any, in the vinyl area, it's easily a double album. In the CD area, it only barely fits on a CD. Right. Um, and uh, at the end of it, I, I actually had this thought the other night. As soon as I finished it, I was like, I actually uh, feel like this could have been longer almost. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> which is amazing because most of the time if I listen to a 50-minute album, I'm like – you could have cut a 20% of that. Um, and uh, just every song is uh, built with uh, precision, craft, and beauty um, in a way that suggests a guy uh, who just absolutely know, knew exactly what he was doing, um, had both ambition and an incredible ability to pull it off. And he did this, and the world was sort of like, Meh. Yeah. You know. He, he, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame him for being pissed. No, I mean, I think it's it's certainly um, it to have been one of the people who went from rock to electronic to brutally oversimplify it um, so successfully to make like the quiet album of your career and just have it be this amazing and um uh, you know, uh, singular, and then have people receive it um, with, you know, puzzled looks and, you know, mm -hmm. grumbling, uh, begrudging six out of ten reviews, um, uh, is is shattering. And I think for you know, and I think that that's sort of, um, you know, I, I agree that it, it's definitely affected him as a person. Um, which might be the the number one legacy of this album is that it created in Billy a um, uh, a still resonant need to be um, a rock star and be seen as a rock star and return to the throne that he had, um, mm -hmm. which I, I feel like he he thinks that this album and then the um, of course abrupt turn of radio away from alternative rock and a lot of rock in general to um, uh as as you know the the events in his life that formed um you know to him unfairly the overall opinion of his career um and what and the smashing pumpkins output um 
and we could spend another 20 minutes ask talking about another two hours talking about whether that's <laughs> accurate or not or what went into that but when it comes to a door um i i just i don't think people will ever have the proper <laughs> context if they're not um you know a uh, uh a Smashing Pumpkins fan. I mean, if they don't love the Smashing Pumpkins, I think it will always be hard for people to give this album the the time and attention uh, you need to see how good it is, which I don't know. I mean, I don't know if maybe that's just I'm deceiving myself and, and some of that, that just means that you, that because I'm a fan, I like it more. But um, I even here it we are like 19 years later and I, it just doesn't feel most of it has aged really well Mm -hmm. um it's uh the best songs have gotten better um it sounds good it sounds so good right now still Mm -hmm. which is that's that's kind of shocking to me um i i think i almost expected to when i listened to it closely for this a few times for it to really be stuck in the 90s and that's only like 10 percent of it and the you know the rest of it is um, it's it's beautifully produced and it's not that electronic actually. Yeah, <laughs> all things considered, I mean, with, with the music we listen to now, I mean, unless it's like a lo-fi indie album, I mean, this this album is, you know, uh, there's a ton of guitar rock on it. Yeah, um, alternative rock. Yeah, I would say the the instrumental palette sounds way less revolutionary now than it maybe did at the time. Um, you know, again, uh. Uh, Kid A came out a year and a half later. Um, yeah, to, or, or I guess I guess sorry, three years after this one came out, um, or no, two and a half, whatever, two years after it came out. Um, and yeah, nothing feels shocking about the fact that there are synths on this anymore. Um, you know, I don't. I think we're past the point where it's going to become a cultural touchstone. Yeah, but um, uh, I'm more co- optimistic than you. I think that somebody who's not even a fan of Siamese Dream or Melancholy, uh, who's you know a sensitive teen today, uh, I think could absolutely love this album. Yeah. Um, it doesn't sound like you said. It sounds modern. It sounds more of the times now than it did then. Um, uh, and uh, you know, um, I think I think it's very easy to imagine a slightly uh, gothy uh 16 year old kid uh narrating his uh romantic travails along to this album or her uh there's certainly nothing to turn off uh uh uh, women on this album i don't think yeah absolutely um i will say you know it's it's funny this conversation like there's a song um that i sent you the the uh, the the, the, the adore version of it there are many versions of it in the pumpkins canon uh let me give the world to you yeah um, as produced by rick rubin and one of the final sessions for this album and i mean it's a great pop song i mean it's billy's writing at its absolute finest um it's it's one of their best like straight up pop songs for sure um and uh whether you you know whether you like that particular production of it or not and you know billy was going to put that on the album and um actually uh you know the record company execs were all like oh yeah of course and that'll be the first single and that so freaked him out that he actually did not put it on the album (laughs) because of that and i i think that there's there's several other songs um including like the you know cash car star which was i think uh ready 
at this point and ended up on Machina 2 and he he had some um uh other rock songs that he'd written and it was afraid to put on this and you know in the end sacrificed i think the popularity of this album to make it as good as it is now because it's it's probably better that those songs aren't on it um yeah i like those songs fine and i don't think they would have improved uh been an improvement over any track they would have been played a lot more on the radio and that's (laughs) sort of where we come so you know i mean that's wow (laughs) i mean the thing to remember is that this is in the context of the highest point of record sales of all times i mean i think this album sold like two or three million copies yeah not which yeah if you did that now you would be the greatest rock hero in a decade um a lot of people bought this album a lot of people know the songs from it um you know smashing pumpkins fans are you know not united but nearly united and um appreciating it and uh i think that if you haven't listened to this album in a while you know take the time go back to it yeah wait till turn on to sheila like right at the last glimmers of the sunset um and just listen to it and uh you will not be disappointed um i heard tushila in a a bar recently mm. it's a mellow daytime experience kind of <laughs> cool say, is this like the the emo but i live in uh, portland bar? so you know uh, yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right joe well this has been fun uh indulging our um outsized love for the smashing pumpkins once more yes in a year we'll do this for melancholy and it will be our first four-hour podcast shit (laughs) i'm actually terrified thinking about that um we got to work backwards through all of them um i guess actually we should do in the airplane or the airplane flies high before we do melancholy um that would be fun um wow again terror <laughs> we'll do one of the we'll do each of the singles from from airplane flies high <laughs> um okay thanks for listening for this year yeah uh, all all like four of you um we appreciate it it's been a lot of fun and, and uh yeah two more years of smashing pumpkins references to yes. come. yes yes all right good night the sun has blessed the rays are gone all the kids have left their ears and gone home sweet seventeen sour twenty Maybe I need